Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. I love Advent, and I'm really excited that I get to just lead us this morning. We're a small group, so it's going to be a little bit of a Bible study together, um, as well as, yeah, me just sharing with you some of the things that, yeah, stuck out with, to me, just from, obviously, lots of stories that we're very, very familiar with. Um, So as I think Tim said, maybe Robbie said, Advent, the word, which I never really, as a kid, I just thought it was about chocolate calendars. I never knew that the word had any other meaning, but it comes from the Latin word, Adventus, meaning arrival. Okay, so it is about celebrating something arriving, looking forward to something arriving, but also, as Tim said, it's about looking back to something having already arrived. So we are looking back to Jesus' birth, how he arrived, how God broke in to, to mankind, how he chose to come to this dark world. He, he came in physical form. Um, it's also about looking to the future, looking forward to the second coming, believing that Jesus is going to come again. It's, it's not just about looking back. I think most people stop at Christmas. They might, might feel good if they thought about the Christmas story, what, what, why we actually celebrate Christmas and think about Jesus coming as a baby. But probably most people don't look forward to the fact that we're actually also celebrating Jesus coming again, that he will come again. Jesus coming as a baby wasn't the end of the story. Um, and Advent also is about now. And I think this is what excites me kind of the most. Um, Advent, like Lent, the season um, in the Christian calendar, we can observe these things and actually really experience something fresh from God as we reflect on God's word, which I believe is living and active. These stories aren't dead, they're alive. And as we reflect on these words, God can speak to us afresh now. And as we look at this story of God breaking in, in the past, we can actually give the things that we're living with at the moment to him and expect him to break in now because we don't believe he's dead in this moment we're in. We believe he came and we believe he's going to come, but we also believe he can come today into the situations that we are in. Um, In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the celebration of Advent Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. So almost know that they need a saviour. Who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. So almost we experience Advent now through being aware 
that we need a personal saviour um, in this moment we're in right now. And uh, Matthew Kelly said, God of hope, I look to you with an open heart and yearning spirit. During this Advent season, I will keep alert and awake, listening for your word and keeping to your precepts. My hope is in you. So Advent is about expectation. It's about preparing our hearts so that we can actually, as we enter into this Christmas season, not get caught up in just the crazy, which I feel like Americans, gosh, you guys, this season, I'm just like in awe of everybody who hosts anything, like from Halloween to like harvest parties, then Thanksgiving, then Christmas, then New Year's. It's like, it's just people, I, no wonder everybody is sick right now because it just, we, in England, we just do Christmas. And, uh, but you guys have so many celebrations. So, I mean, by the time you actually get to Christmas, yeah, absolutely overwhelmed. So, um, but we really want to be preparing our hearts so that by the time we get to Christmas, yeah. we're actually really, we've really entered into that story of Jesus having come to earth. And it actually means something fresh for us. So last year, um, Tom and I had the privilege of being part of this retreat program. And it was wonderful. It was for, lots of, it was for leaders who live in the Bay Area who you know, give out a lot. Uh, especially around the Christmas time and we got to go to this retreat at the beginning of the Advent season and we went through lots of different kind of prayer exercises and things but one of the things they got us to do was walk around the main sanctuary of this beautiful church and all around the room different pieces of art had been um, hung up um, art from throughout the centuries, some famous pieces, some more modern, contemporary pieces, but all kind of depicting the Christmas story, the nativity story. So there was some of Mary with Jesus, there was some of the wise men, there were some which, you know, were going back to kind of the Renaissance period. There were some like that were felt more hard hitting. Um, and they asked us to just really reflect as we walked around what picture kind of stood out to us the most and why um, and asked us after we'd looked at the pictures to go and have some time on our own where we read the kind of gospel account kind of associated with the picture that stood out to us the most and just kind of look at it with completely fresh eyes you know often like kids plays they're like Look at it from the perspective of the donkey or look at it from the perspective of like, you know, the innkeeper. But this was like, look at it from who you relate to the most. And, um, and I just want to say, so I'm not that old, but it was the first year, I'd say last year, that I'd been like aware of my age. I know that sounds really weird, but I think I turned 42 last year and... It was like the first time, I think, it really hit me. I'm like, I'm actually like ageing. Like Tom made it so that we have no more children. Can I say that? You have. I've just said that. Um, so it was that. So I was very aware that we were not going to have any more children, which is quite a weird feeling as a, as a woman. I think you're like, oh, that's not even an option anymore. 
It's not an option. I'm not going to have any children with any, anyone else. And um, so, and I'm just aware of like, I think just aware of like your body changing, almost like just that feeling of like, this is literally like as good as it's going to get. And I don't think I'd ever, I never thought about ageing really before. My mum wasn't someone who talked about like, she didn't, you know, she's not that kind of person. We didn't have all the creams and all the uh, makeup and all of that growing up. She was very natural and it's just, you know, we age gracefully, we keep a young heart. And um, I think it just hit me like, oh man, I'm getting old. And I think that's something I'm like kind of processing with God right now. It's like, okay, what is in this next stage of my life? And so it was really interesting. As I walked around, there was this one picture. Do we have the picture? Oh, there she is. There was this one picture. Who do you think it is? You can call out. Not Mary. She's young. She's Lily. She's Lily's age, Mary. Elizabeth. This is Elizabeth. Okay. So this picture, um, it's a contemporary picture by a lady. Let's give her credit. Let's give her credit. Her name is Judith. Richmond, and it's called The Prophecy. Okay, so this picture I just felt really drawn to um, and really felt like God really spoke to me through it. I mean, I am a little bit younger than this lady, but, you know. Um, but it was funny. I kind of experienced Advent in a completely different way, looking at the stories from the point of view of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, we think, was Mary's cousin, although she must have been like a second cousin. I don't really know how that works. Second cousin, third cousin, because Mary was like 14, and she was 60s. Some, some places even say that she was 88, which is like crazy when you think about the story. Um, but I really felt like I related to this woman, and I just felt like, how did she get her head around what happened to her? And we're going to look a little bit more into that story. Um, and this story really fits in with this first week of Advent, which where we're looking at hope. Um, and Elizabeth is someone who just in so many different ways stands for this woman, woman who, who hoped and who kept, her, kept that hope. She, she didn't she probably had to give up on the hope of having a baby, but she put her hope in something greater. She, she did not um, let go of her hope that a Messiah was coming. So we're going to look at the text. Have we got it on the screen? Excellent. Um, who wants to read the first bit out for me? We've got kind of three little bits. And then we're going to get in a couple of groups and we're going to talk about it together. <clears throat> You're doing it, Tom? Do the first yeah, one. Okay. Luke 1, 5 to 25. So listen. You get points for, you know. Okay. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, 
he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the lord and burn incense and when the time for the burning of incense came all the assembled worshippers were praying outside then an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense when zechariah saw him he was startled and was gripped with fear but the angel said to him do not be afraid zechariah your prayer has been heard your wife elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him john he will be a delight a joy and a delight to you many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the lord he is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even before he's born he will bring back many of the people of israel to the lord their god and he will go on before the lord in the spirit and power of elijah to turn their hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the lord zechariah asked the angel how can i be sure of this i am an old man my wife is well along in years the angel said to him i am gabriel i stand in the presence of god and i have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day this so happens because you didn't believe my words which will come true at their appointed time Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, but he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. She said, in these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Okay, <clears throat> I will just read this next little bit that is about Mary visiting Elizabeth. Um, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will would fulfil his promises to her. And then can I just have one person to read from 57? You got it. Amanda, you got it. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. 
He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Thank you. Okay, so we are going to just have a uh, yeah, conversation. We can do just this half of the room, this half of the room, um, and pull it apart a bit and see kind of like we're looking at it with fresh eyes. I know this is a story lots of us know already, but in this group, I'd love it if we could look at what does this, this story, this account of Elizabeth and Zechariah, what does it tell us about God? And then over here, I would love it if you guys could have a thing, discuss what does this tell us about people and God's interaction with people? Okay, let's come back together. Wonderful. Group one. Group one. What does the, do these passages tell us about God? Best answers. What were your best answers? Tim. Tim had a good one. What was your? Uh, he, uh, in, he ex- expects or enjoys or desires belief in faith. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, and obviously, in the story, the, the, fact that, the fact that Zechariah doubts it means he is made mute. And the really interesting thing is, I mean, obviously, we don't know everything, but it seems like Elizabeth is like, okay. <laughs> great you know like she doesn't seem to question it um, and obviously we do have accounts of um, other women throughout the Old Testament who this has happened to and they do question it and they do even, even Mary like kind of says what you know I'm a virgin but it seems like Elizabeth I, I, I mean I love her um, reaction she says the Lord has done this for me almost like this is what I've been asking for for my whole life. The Lord has done this for me. It seems like she doesn't waver in her, I don't know, her understanding that God can do the supernatural, that he can break in in this way, whereas her husband um, did question. Yes? Just, it must have been quite humorous. Yeah. Especially an elderly lady with a really big bump. It's almost yeah. like, I mean, maybe this is just my but it's almost like the slightly the humour of God as well, isn't it? You know? Yeah. That kind of she she had this thing and everyone must have been like, Hey Elizabeth <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do, you know, I don't know, it's just kind of like I love the, it's almost like the implicit yeah. humour of God and joy of God that it's sort of really miraculous and serious but also kind of funny and amazing this elderly lady with that big bump. Yeah. And we don't it says that she was in seclusion for five months, which wasn't the norm and they're more likely to go into seclusion in the later stages so to go into seclusion for the first five months when obviously Mary didn't do that we're not aware other people did that so some people think that she had a really difficult pregnancy and that might be why or it might have been shame although it's kind of a weird one because it it kind of took away her shame 
because she had been this woman who hadn't been able to have children. Um, it, and again, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it is 100% like seen as something wrong with Elizabeth rather than there's never a question there might have been something wrong with Zechariah, why they couldn't have kids. It was totally the woman's shame, the woman's problem if she wasn't able to bear children. And it was seen as kind of a disfavour of God. It was seen as something, God not wanting to give you something, so maybe there'd been sin, maybe there had been something in your, your backstory that meant you couldn't have children. Um, but yeah, just that whole, whole journey. And the other thing which I discovered, which I hadn't ever really thought about, was the fact that Herod obviously sent this order out that all baby boys be killed. Um, and this is like, you know, Mary's pregnancy and Elizabeth's pregnancy were really close. There was only three months separating them. And so they will, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been totally affected by the fear of having this baby taken away, which I'd never really thought about before. And in fact, one of the um, commentaries I looked at said they think that Zechariah may have been killed because he's not mentioned again, he may have been killed um, because he protected John and he refused to give him up. So that's a whole other backstory of, yeah, wanting to protect your child, maybe wanting to hide the pregnancy for that reason as well. So anything else about God? What does it tell us about God? Just one comment was this, that he... God can do amazing miracles. Yeah. Be it make a man not talk or an elderly lady get pregnant. Yeah. God, God can do anything he wants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that his timing is so different from ours. Um, obviously, he could have given Elizabeth a baby. John the Baptist could have been born in a more natural way, um, ushering in Jesus' birth. But he chose to bring it about in this this way which creates this incredible parallel with Mary's story you have Elizabeth uh, it being a miraculous thing that her body is able to produce a baby at 88 or whatever people think she was um, her body you know was, it wasn't just that she was infertile it was that you know she was physically beyond the age of having children so a real miracle had taken place. And then that we have that almost in parallel to, <laughs> to Mary, who's probably just about at the age of being able to start having children, but, you know, had never been with a man. And so it's incredible, the two parallels of how God shows up. One, when things look dead, and, and one, when, like, things are brand new, but it's almost like before they've come into bloom, you know? And so the way that God lines these stories up is really incredible. He, he kind of says, in this situation I can show up and in this situation mm-hmm. I can show up. Um, and I think something that really struck me was this story, obviously, it's before Jesus um, being born, before Elizabeth is told, before Mary is told, And this is the first time we have a record of God speaking to his people 
um, since Malachi. And so this is, there'd been a 400 year gap where it seems as if God had been silent. And so the Jews have all these amazing stories from the past, but for 400 years, it had been silent. And this is the way God shows up. Um, and this is the way God chooses to speak. And it's so interesting, that is the way he's coming through this couple who seem weak and frail and almost past it, you know, beyond their prime. And he shows up in this, through this weakness. Um, and it makes it even more difficult by the fact that Zechariah then can't even talk about it. Um, so it's just really incredible how God chooses to break in. What about you guys, to his people? What does it tell us about how he, about people? I think it says that even, even like the most religious or like the, the most righteous of us require a lot of proof like to yeah. believe that a miracle can happen to us. <clears throat> like specifically, he's a priest. Yeah. Uh, and he's been praying for this to happen. And an angel appears to him and he still is like unable to believe yeah. that that would happen. I don't actually know like specifically that it's apparent in the story, but I do think we like have trouble believing that like a miracle will happen to us. I, I find it easier to, to be like, oh, like, I can believe for someone else's healing as opposed to like believing for like my own yeah. healing. There's something about like it being ourselves that makes it incredibly difficult for people like, yeah. to actually accept that that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything else over here? It I seems that like individuals and communities are are like they're caught up in this like other story that God is writing that's different than what's kind of going on on the ground. Mm. That's almost like happening to them. Yeah. And just the idea that that's true as people, like we have what's going on on the ground and then there's like God also has a story he's creating. Yeah. And we're almost like, yes, we know through the Bible that he, he like, we participate in it, but there's another point, another level where it's like we're almost just like caught in the river of it. Like mm -hmm. this is happening, you know? Yeah. We can miss what's happening right now because we're sort of yeah and the whole community's there they're like yeah. this is what's going on oh, this is amazing yeah like, oh yeah god's moving yeah i feel like that's a human experience yeah. potentially absolutely okay yeah that's great um okay so i want us to look just a little bit at who elizabeth is why she might have been chosen by god for this purpose um, and yeah, think about um, maybe where there might be areas in our own life where it might feel like there is a barrenness or there is, maybe we feel kind of old spiritually or tired spiritually. Um, I think when I looked at that picture last year, I think that was kind of what I felt, not necessarily an old in age, but just a kind of 
I feel a bit exhausted trusting these promises and I have, I'm kind of holding on to these promises that God's spoken over us and our family and our church um, and you can almost feel a bit battle weary and exhausted from holding on to things God said and so that that picture of her with the wrinkles and just pondering this thing that's been spoken over her um, and how you hold on to prophecy how you hold on to things God's spoken or even just the the promises of God that are right there in his word how we hold on to those things when we can't see evidence um, is really hard okay so who was Elizabeth She obviously is well known for being the mother of John the Baptist and a relative of Mary, probably at some kind of second, third cousin, um, but must have lived near enough to Mary for Mary to come and visit her, so maybe part of her extended community. Um, We know from the text that she, she herself was descended from the priestly line of Aaron. So she, just, just her, not married to Zechariah, just her, she's would have that's like impressive to be descended from Aaron to be in that line have that lineage she would have been somebody um who had a really good reputation in the Jewish community um she would have been seen as kind of like an upright Hebrew women woman who would have been kind of sought after to be a priest's wife at some point so um she almost would have been seen as a spiritual equal to Zechariah. She would have been seen as kind of, she's from that line, so that's a good match for him. He's a priest. Great. They get married. Um, and obviously, as a Jewish woman who has been brought up in these customs, going to the temple regularly, um, you know, since a little girl, she would have been incredibly familiar with the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Hannah and Samuel, women who had experienced barrenness, Um, but God had done a miracle and we don't know it doesn't tell us much about whether that's something she she was praying for every day Um, but those stories would have been familiar that God can show up in this way Um, so at this time um, if you think about it if God had been seemed like he had been silent in terms of new words from him Um, for 400 years Um, the Jews the Jewish community are kind of going through their kind of motions their rituals their sacrifices their prayers Um, and she would have been a frequent visitor to the temple obviously to the women's part Um, but around her there was quite a lot going on where Herod had brought about kind of improvements to the temple but it also meant that there had been some corruption within the priesthood and she would be seeing all of that but the fact that it says that they were blameless and they were righteous before God kind of tells us Zechariah and Elizabeth stayed true to doing things the way that they believed God wanted things done um, Obviously, when it says that she's blameless, it doesn't mean that she never sinned. What it means is that she would get herself right before God if she did sin. So it means she would go to the temple. She would offer the right um, sacrifices. So she was this kind of woman who had a really good reputation. 
she hadn't given in to any of the corruption. It hadn't become just this cultural norm and then you do whatever you want the rest of the week. This was something she really believed. Um, but then she has this huge problem of being barren, um, which in that day and age would have made her kind of a social pariah. She would have been seen as, what, you know, what's wrong with her? That would have excluded her from so many different things. Um, one reason it was seen as bad was because your husband might die <laughs> and you would have no other means of supporting yourself. So that was a fear, very real fear for, for women who didn't have children. There was going to be nobody who would look after them in their old age. Um, and also, secondly, like children were very much seen as a blessing from God. It was seen as something God gave you. So if you weren't given children, um, yeah, you were, you were seen as having kind of done something wrong for God to not want to bless you in that way. Um, and so she probably, from women around her in that community, there would have been some social scorn, some ridicule, maybe some whispering, maybe she felt out of certain kind of social circles. But it seems as if she, rather than kind of that meaning that she became bitter or she became resentful, it seems like Elizabeth stays in a place of faith and hope. And the... The text doesn't tell us that her hope is in her having a baby, but the text kind of tells us that her hope is in something greater. Her hope is in a Messiah coming. And I think this is so important because as soon as we say the word hope, we think of the things that we hope for and the things that we haven't got that we want, the things we're praying for, um, the people we're praying for, the situations we're praying for. And hope can feel like this, oh, I want to have hope, but I can feel hopeless. Um, and the thing is, she almost like, I kind of think of it as like, almost she like piggybacked over the, over the, the problem <laughs> of not being able to have children. And she instead put her hope in God, in this bigger picture of, of God sending his son, God coming to earth and rescuing mankind. She almost was like, okay, I'm, this is a sacrifice I've got to bear, but my hope is in something so much bigger. And it's, it kind of, um, the picture of her being barren almost like is a physical picture of the state of Israel at that time. So if Israel hadn't really heard from God, there hadn't been a sense of life of God speaking in a fresh way for 400 years. They have all these amazing stories of God speaking in the past. And it almost is like Israel is barren. There's like a, it's kind of dried up. They're going through the motions. You know, it's probably become more kind of man-centered than it should. Um, there's corruption. Um, almost the hope in the Messiah coming for many, many people, it's kind of dried, dried up. Judaism is more of a cultural thing that just kind of keeps everyone in line and keeps their community going. Um, it's like the hope that there's going to be a Messiah is almost dead. In the same way as it seems like there's literally no hope. She's going to have a child because her womb is as good as dead. Um, so we meet them at this point. And Zechariah says that he was chosen by Lot to go and burn incense in the temple. 
Now, this is really interesting. He was actually chosen out of 24,000 people. So it was almost like winning the lottery if you got to go in the temple to do this particular job. This is something that happened. This wasn't something you did like every weekend. This was like a once in a lifetime thing that you would be the priest of that particular tribe to go. There was a thousand in each division and there was 24 divisions. So in fact, he was chosen to go and pray in the temple for this period of time. It's probably a couple of weeks um, and light the candles and the incense and all of that. It was, it was kind of, you know, he was chosen, but it was like, it could have so easily not happened. So it feels like God totally kind of orchestrated that, that he was there at just this time um, praying and in the temple, kind of with his eyes, I guess, on God. So he is visited by Gabriel. And as we know, he didn't believe straight away. So he is struck mute. But it seems like Elizabeth's reaction when he comes out, I mean, I think it's hilarious thinking about how he actually would have told her. Because it just says, it obviously just presumes that she knows that, that what's happened and what the angel has told him. But I don't know how he would have... I don't know how he would have told her. It would be kind of like a game of charades or something. Like him trying to explain to her what the angel had said. But he can't speak. I guess he can write it down. But, yeah, for her to, um, for her to believe this has happened to her, for her to say, the Lord has done this for me, for her to celebrate that, she says, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace from among the people. For her to get to that place of, I'm totally going to believe I'm pregnant, even before it showed, even though he'd only been able to show her through kind of miming and writing things down, um, it's pretty impressive. So we kind of, I just love this idea of, of Elizabeth being this this woman who her faith in God is so strong her eyes are so on the living god and the fact that he can move in these supernatural ways that she she believes him even though her husband i mean who he must be i think tom you said like it must have been really embarrassing for him he's come out of the temple he can't speak and now he's trying to communicate something so crazy that his 88 year old wife is pregnant um it just seems so amazing that she was able to just accept it and take it on board and it says that she humbly accepts it with gratefulness and joy um and by the time they get to the end of the story she is the one who speaks up and says no his name is john and and then obviously they want him to confirm that the woman's voice wasn't as well respected in those days so he then confirms yes his name is john um, so she remains, as I said, in seclusion for the first five months. And the things I read suggest that wasn't the norm. That was probably because she was having a difficult time or maybe because of the shame related to getting pregnant as a much older lady. I guess it, I mean, gosh, you're exhausted when you're pregnant. I can't imagine being pregnant when you're 88. Like, um, so 
for whatever reason, she keeps it secluded. This amazing thing has happened to her, but she doesn't seem to shout it from the rooftops. She's, she's pondering it, and we know she's grateful. We know she believes it, but she's not kind of saying, God's spoken to us. You know, this is, God's broken in. The Messiah's coming. You know, she doesn't really know what it means. Um, and then in the midst of that, she has this visit from Mary. And we see this other aspect of Elizabeth. Um, so Elizabeth was this incredibly well-respected Jewish woman. Her, her husband is a priest. She's grown up in the Jewish um, tradition. And this girl, who is probably about 14, there would be so much shame attached to her being pregnant yet she welcomes Mary with open arms. There doesn't seem to be any sense of, don't come near me, don't associate with me. There's just this openness and this faith that, you know, even before she she knows um, that Mary is having the Messiah, she welcomes Mary. She seems to just have that openness, that love, that grace, that compassion about her. And then when she welcomes Mary in, she has this prophetic edge. She, she knows this is Jesus. She knows this is going to be the saviour of the world. And she speaks this truth to Mary. God uses her to confirm to Mary this truth that Gabriel has spoken to Mary. And that is just so incredible. And I know in my life, like... I might sense things from God or read something and think, oh, that would, you know, I think God might be saying this. But if somebody else comes to me and says, I really felt like God wants to say this to you. I really feel like, you know, when we moved to San Francisco, that happened for us numerous times. Or when we moved to the States, when somebody comes to you and steps out of the boat, takes a risk and says, I feel like God's saying this. Does this make any sense to you? Um, that just like, oh my gosh, what that does to our faith and how it encourages us is just incredible. So yeah, we see Elizabeth as like a prophetess. She speaks truth over Mary and that sense of um, these two pregnant women coming together and just encouraging one another and loving each other and speaking this truth over one another, um, yeah, is really incredible. Um, And it seems like Elizabeth, there's no jealousy Um, Elizabeth realises that her son is kind of the precursor to Mary's son. But there's no no jealousy in that, even though she's the older woman, she's the more experienced Jew. um, There doesn't seem to be any jealousy of Mary or of the fact that Mary has been given this incredible role as the the mother of God. Um, It seems like she's able to really come alongside Mary and encourage her and build her up. Um, And I think this whole thing of God using Elizabeth's pain, the pain that she must have had throughout her life of not being able to have a child. Um, And for, I mean, for friends I have who have had that experience of infertility, um, I mean, I just... That, that pain, that gut-wrenching pain of being around people who have children, um, of Mother's Day, of just 
what it means long term for your life, for celebrations, for for Christmas, you know, all of those things. It, it, I think it's just the most horrific experience and something that kind of go you have you kind of just avoid you avoid social situations so elizabeth would have experienced that and it almost feels like god uses the pain that she's gone through to make her this compassionate and loving and someone who person someone who can bring comfort to others who are experiencing pain so we don't know how long Mary was there, but we know Mary goes back before it's time um, for Jesus to be born. Um, we don't know whether Mary was there when John was born. She might have been. It might have been she was, that was the reason she was there, to come and help Elizabeth um, in those early stages of having a baby. But yeah, we know that John is born. And uh, then, Amazingly, Elizabeth speaks up and says, yeah, his name is John. They confirm it. And I mean, the story is incredible how it says that the people around them, just like you said, Billy, the community, the people around them are just in awe of how God is working, how he's moving, how he has spoken to them, given him this name. And they're saying, what then is this child going to be? for the Lord's hand was with him. They don't really know yet what his role is going to be. Um, So Elizabeth doesn't have a song. Mary and Zechariah both have a song, but it seems like she almost, they're kind of her songs as well. Like her, her experience kind of inspires these songs. And she shows these incredible gifts of faith, of prophecy, of discernment. Um, and yes, she's able to kind of usher John in to the things that he has, that God has got for him. So this story, I guess just I want to say just a couple of things just to apply it to us. Um, I think one of the things that struck me the most was that this was a time that God had been silent for so long and the situation almost seemed hopeless for, for Elizabeth personally, but also for the Jews as a people. They'd almost given up hope that a Messiah was coming, a feeling of being forgotten, um, a feeling of just kind of going through all the kind of rituals and traditions just for religion's sake, but kind of those things becoming empty of God. And I, I know in my life that that can happen. We can do church, we can even do Bible studies, we can pray even, um, and things can become empty of God or any true faith or belief. Um, and it feels like God breaks in to this time. Um, In Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I just think this so sums up this, what happens in this situation. There is this longing deep down in Elizabeth, which over time I'm sure could make your heart sick, could make you bitter. And, um, make you give up on God 
but it says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And it seems like into this hopelessness of the Israelites, of the Jews, and also into Elizabeth and Zechariah's family, God comes. He breaks in. And where maybe she, in her own quiet way, was saying, I don't understand. It hurts. I haven't been able to have a baby. I want to give up. Where are you, God? Please show up. It seems like Elizabeth is is able to say, I don't understand, but I trust you, God. My hope is in you, not in the thing that I want or the thing I need. I'm going to jump over that and I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to hope for the Messiah. I'm going to hope for you coming back. I'm going to hope for you being real and that you've got a plan for Israel rather than putting my hope in this thing I want you to give me. And um, just like Abraham, um, Elizabeth believed God before she saw the fruit, before she saw the results. Um, In Romans 4, it says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body, like Elizabeth's, was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do all that he had promised. And I just think that verse, which is obviously later on, (laughs) um, written by Paul in the New Testament, um, just so reflects this attitude that Elizabeth has of faith in beyond just kind of getting what she feels she needs in something bigger. Um, Anne Voskamp, who writes some beautiful stuff around Advent, says, miracles begin understated. They begin and the earth doesn't shake and the trumpet doesn't sound. Miracles begin with the plain song of a promise and sometimes not even fully believed. This is always the best place for miracles. God meets us right where we don't believe. When our believing runs out, God's loving runs on. The miracle is always that God is gracious, that grace carries us and breathes life into the impossible places, that grace, a thousand graces, explodes the doubting silence in our hearts so how do we respond to this story because i think it's so important when we read these christmas stories um it's really important that we respond now today in 2022 in san francisco uh, in our lives right now how how can we respond to elizabeth's example and how god used Elizabeth and her life and her specific problems. Um, In what ways can we relate to her? Um, What ways might God seem silent right now in our lives? Um, 
Maybe you're living with God having spoken a promise or a prophecy, something you hoped would happen, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. It's taking so much longer than you thought. Um, And there just feels like there's silence from God. Um, What are the barren places in your own life? Where does it feel like there used to be life maybe? There used to be like life and joy and fruit, but now it kind of feels dried up and dead. Um, kind of, is there, is there hope? Is there hope that those things can come back to life again? Ruthie Kim, who um, yeah, is part of Reality Church, friend of mine, she says, this is why I love Advent. This season welcomes us with open arms, accepting our weary bodies, our overworked souls, and our hurried hearts without judgment or shame. Advent beckons us to acknowledge our pain, lay down our heavy burdens, and rest in the truth that God is still working. This process of releasing our pain makes room to receive. In this space, we ready ourselves for the new thing, the surprising thing, the unexpected and delightful thing. Get ready, because God is still working. So I totally believe that God can work and does work now, just the same as he did then, in surprising ways and in ways which are so unexpected often almost at the last minute when we think we've given up. Um, And definitely I could testify to that this this last year. There's been times when we've thought, I think maybe we just need to give up. This is getting embarrassing. Um, And God shows up, something happens, and it brings encouragement and faith and joy and hope. And often we need to put ourselves in the way of that where God can show up, still trusting in him, still coming to him, still saying, God, I don't understand, but I know you do, and I know you have a plan. We need to put our hope not in the thing that we want, but instead in the bringer of hope. We put our hope in Jesus and the fact that he did come and he is coming again and he is at work now in our lives um yeah ruthie also says god gives god he withholds no good thing from us he doesn't withhold jesus um christ is all our good and he is all ours no matter the barrenness that you might feel you can always have as much of jesus as you want and yeah i just um yeah, I just want to end by just, yeah, encouraging you. Just, I know this city and this world we live in, I think so often can just, we can just get so worn down by the pain we see around us. And just, I totally, that proverb about hope being deferred, making the heart sick is something I feel like I've so lived with and wrestled with over the last few years. But, no, nothing that we're struggling with is, is too big for God. And so often 
for him to show his glory, he needs us to come to that place of pain and desperation and complete trust in him um, so that he is so big <laughs> in our minds and the thing we want is, is so small, is so insignificant. Um, and I'm saying that from personal experience, living in that, um, that we can find our hope in him um, rather than in the things that we think